just learn how to love the conversation. Our buyers are people. They're people that you go on a walk with. They're people that you'd meet in a bar. They're people that you'd have dinner with. Like just because they hold the keys making buying decisions doesn't mean that you all of a sudden have to talk at them or talk to them in a different way. Same with marketing. If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Welcome everyone to the show. So today I've got Amy Volas here with me. Amy helps startups hire sales leaders without the cringe. She is founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners, which she started over five years ago. And um, Amy's background. So she's been the sales leader at ZipRecruiter, Indeed, and Yahoo!, And wait for this. She has personally closed a hundred million plus dollars in revenue and counting. That's huge. She's also a LinkedIn top sales voice. She's got 43,000 followers. And um, this is also really cool. You've got over 70 recommendations on LinkedIn. So clearly this woman knows what she's doing. Also just wanted to mention that, um, you have been co-hosting the number one weekly virtual sales happy hour, Thursday night sales, which I was actually, um, I've been on there off and on because it is such a fun community. Like I had so much fun and I'm like, sorry, I'm the marketing person here, but you guys are great. And everyone was still very welcoming. And I just like loved and listened in and learned so much from a sales perspective. So Anyone that hasn't heard of Thursday Night Sales, you, you got to try it. It's almost like an experience in and of itself. <laughs> You're also an entrepreneur in residence at Venture Scale, a growth accelerator, and a founding member of Sales Hacker, which is a community for B2B sales pros. I don't know how you find the time, Amy. I really don't. Maybe once we start chatting on this show, I'll be able to figure that stuff out. But really, before I, I have you jump in and ask you questions, this is a marketing podcast. So like, why am I bringing on Amy Volas, the sales rock star? And it's because my experience in corporate, I found over time that marketing and sales is super intertwined, should be super intertwined. Marketers need to understand how sales works and vice versa to accomplish business growth. And then personally, after starting my own business in in January, 2020, I've been straddling both marketing and sales. And it's like, honestly, becoming a blur. I I know I'm doing marketing because that's where the land I come from, but I'm also getting customers. So I must be selling, right? Otherwise people wouldn't, wouldn't know what to buy. So I've, I've meshed both together. I think that's worked really well. And I've realized over time as well, as we move into more into digital, that there's really, there's no buyer journey, like I've been asking people about this. People can come from all over the place. You just have to be there with the right content and build the relationship and the trust. And I want to talk about that today. 
the growth in digital and how that's impacting sales. There's so much I want to unpack with you. <laughs> so thanks for being here, Amy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That is probably one of the most thorough and thoughtful introductions I've ever had. So thank you. You know, I think from, I, I have to start with TNS because that's where you left off and it's Thursday, so it's going to happen tonight. But I hope to see you back because here's here's the interesting part about that community. Even though we call it Thursday Night Sales, we have technical founders that join us. We have people from CS joining us. We have marketers that join us. And I think that's a great place to start sort of where you're you're wanting to think about this. It's an ecosystem. And we can't, yes, sales drives revenue, but you can't drive revenue if product isn't there. You can't think about the buyer journey in the same way without taking into account what the marketing strategy is. And when those two things come together, magic happens. You can't keep your business if you're not cohesive and simpatico with customer success. Like these are all things that matter. And these are all bits and pieces of business that make a business unique and special. And so I really am troubled by so many things that I see where it's like us versus them or sales against the world. And it's like, yes, that can happen, but we all have a part of the story. And how are we trying to build those bridges versus break them down? And sales doesn't have all of the answers. I love sales. It's my first business love, proud of it. But especially as this is my second venture, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I think about marketing every day. And no, it's not a language that I speak fluently. And no, it's not something that I know everything about, but I'm super turned on by it. It's a priority for my business. And it's something that absolutely helps the sales side of my business as well. So I just think it's important when, you know, I, I think about Thursday night sales and the magic of that. It's a safe place. We don't record it. We have real talk, as you know, you've been there. Um, and it's equal parts, real talk. Sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's laughter. And we tackle subjects. So our conversation is driven by the questions that are asked. And we have marketers that ask us questions. We have founders that ask us questions about how do I think about sales and marketing? And I think those are really the right questions to think about how do you do this business well? So I hope to see you back when you can. You are a stranger but once. And it is an experience because sometimes we have wildly off the wall conversation that has nothing to do with any of it and laughing till the belly hurts. So thank you for this. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, yeah, you're right. We've got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to dive into here. I'm going to start off kind of high level and I'm switching up like the organization of the questions that I originally sent over, but like, let's start off with like sales. What does sales mean? What does marketing mean? And especially like you're a business owner, I'm a business owner, we're tackling both and we're like kind of more strong in one area versus the other. Like what, what do each of these things mean for you? So I think that they are mutually exclusive for me. So I had to break up with a lot of my sales lessons learned over the years that served me really, really well as I started growing my business. And a lot of that had to do with marketing. One of the very best pieces of advice that I received when I started ATP, and it's been over five and a half years, which I can't even believe. It's like, it feels like it was just yesterday. But it was, I was part of a mastermind group and the gentleman that was running the group had said, one of the very best things that you can do is lean into content. And if you do it, you can't stop it because if you stop it, it'll hurt you. And once you start, you better have quality in mind and you better realize that it's the long game. 
Now, all of those things really appealed to me from a sales perspective because I come from enterprise sales. It's everything that I've done in my career. That's all I've done in my career as a sales leader and as an individual contributor. And if you are short-sighted in just what's in it for me, you don't get to the end goal the same way. It's not sustainable the same way. It's not as profitable. You have churn issues. And there's all these things that happen. And I leaned into it. That piece of advice was really interesting for me. Like, huh, content. Wow. I've been around for a while. I've seen a thing or two. I've learned a thing or two. And yes, I ripped that off of the farmer's commercial and I'm totally giving them credit, but I love it. But it's like that, that's pretty brilliant. And there's something really rewarding when I think you know why you're doing what you're doing. So I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan and the why is my North Star. When you know why you're doing what you're what you're you're doing, you've been around the block for a while, you've learned a bunch, you've messed up a bunch. I care about my ecosystem. My ecosystem is startups and I skew towards sales. And those two things aren't always mutually exclusive in terms of getting it right. And so I started my company to fix what I knew I could fix. And that starts with the people and that's the recruiting side. So how do I think about sales and marketing? I started with content first and I was an outbound girl, right? Like everything that I've ever done in my sales career, I didn't have an SDR. I, in more times than not, beyond me working at Yahoo!, which Yahoo was a very well-established, already public company by the time I came into the mix, there was brand out the hilt. We got a seat at the table just because of that brand. But everywhere else I've worked, nobody knew who we were, especially in the enterprise. I didn't have marketing. So I had to go grassroots efforts, like build, knock on doors, strategically think about how you knock on those doors. How do you have conversations? Not just get a seat at the table, but keep it. What I learned and what I've really learned the most is, yes, I still do some of that. You can take the girl out of the day-to-day sales role, but you can't take the sales out of the girl. So, I mean, I'm responsible for all the sales here at my company. And I do it by design because I want to keep my craft sharp. On the flip side of that, that's where marketing comes into play. Everything in my business now, because of me leaning into content, because of me thinking about SEO, which I still suck at. I don't even know what I'm doing, but you know what? I want to learn it. It's something that's important. The answers that I don't know for my questions, I surround myself with people that do know, and I either ask for help or I try to figure it out or I get people that can help me do it. Uh, What's interesting about that is it is flip-flopped where all of my stuff is inbound. And all of that comes from using my voice from the lessons that I learned through my sales career to pay it forward to genuinely help. So I'm not doing tactics. I'm not throwing people in automation, hoping that something's going to stick. I'm not just thinking about the top of the funnel. And I have always kind of leaned into the long game. And I think my answer here is probably a little vague in terms of sales and marketing, but I'm doing it by design because they bleed into each other. And that's my point is it's not Amy puts on her sales hat and does this. And then Amy puts on her marketing hat and does this. I think about it holistically as a business owner of these two things coexist and they are mutually exclusive in my business. And one feeds the other and the other feeds the other. So my sales experience feeds my content and my content feeds sales for my company. And I get inspired by those things each and every day. And it's that commitment to that. And it's that fear of like, sweaty palms, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a WordPress expert and I just crashed my site. What? And then, you know, having people that will pick me up when I fall down a little bit. That's been wildly scary and wildly enlightening. I've learned a lot. 
I still have so much yet to learn and really cool to watch unfold. And that's my whole point to people is you can have your playbooks, but you've got to have a mind like water because when you're building a business or you're building a sales team from scratch, even though I've been there and I've done that before, how you do it here has got to adapt. So that was a whole lot, Anna. I just backed up the truck and downloaded all over the audience here, but I hope it was helpful. I mean, that's really how I think about it. That was wonderful. And it was a a longer explanation. But what I realized was like, we're kind of on opposite ends. Like I also was freaking out. Okay, I have to write proposals now. And then what do I do? Like they're interested. How do I get this contract signed? Like what are some of the tips and tricks? What about a discovery call? Like I sat next to sales. I heard them. I, I even gave them some tips. Like you should talk about it this way. Like don't talk about our features. Talk about the problem that it's solving. I know I listened to myself say this and heard them say this, but it's different when you actually have to do it as a marketer and then figure it out and realize that. And I've just learned so much. Like, why is it that some prospects move so slow and then other ones, it's like done in a day, ready to go? Like, what is it about that? And then figuring that out and weaving that into your process, your sales process. So I think whether you're on the other end of the spectrum or I'm on, you know, the opposite side of it. In my mind, it's like, just learn how to love the conversation. And when you do that, if you're really showing up to have a conversation, you're going to be prepared to have a conversation. And part of every conversation that we have outside of work, I don't have all the answers. Like when I meet somebody, I'm not going to come in and be like, tell me about your pain. What keeps you up at night? It's like, so, you know, what's going on? What are you thinking about? Like, what are you doing in your life? what's important to you, you know, like, can you talk about it and you're listening? Like if you genuinely are interested in the conversation, you're listening and you're having discussion. Our buyers are people. They're people that you go on a walk with. They're people that you'd meet in a bar. They're people that you'd have dinner with. Like just because they hold the keys making buying decisions doesn't mean that you all of a sudden have to talk at them or talk to them in a different way. Same with marketing. Like, this is what I love that you just mentioned. Like, I want to understand discovery. Guess what? Discovery happens on every call if you're good at what you do. Because you realize that things change. And what I don't love that happens between sales and marketing or marketing and sales is we assume we think we know what the buyer wants because we've created a persona. And not every persona, like, yes, you could be the economic buyer, but that doesn't mean that you care about the same things, even if you're in the same vertical. I might be able to entice you because I know that maybe there's regulation happening in your space and that's going to keep you up at night because now you've got to deal with it. But it's how you deal with it that I need to figure out if I can really help you or not. And I do feel like it's our responsibility and obligation as sellers, as marketers, to figure that out and then strategize from there. I love that. All right. So I would love to talk about sales a little bit more. Like, how has sales changed over the last 10 years? And the, the thing I mentioned earlier in the episode is this growth in digital, especially after COVID, like how has that been impacting sales? What do you think? Like what's staying the same and what's changing? And if people don't change with it, like that's not a good thing. So I think, you know, it's almost like what's old is new, but what's happened in the last 10 years is the digital age has really 
reached a fever pitch. Like even five years ago, if you saw the heat map for all of the companies that were in sales technology, you can't even see the brands on the page now. Like it bleeds off of the page. It's multiple pages. There's so many people in this space and it's cluttered. And you think about that's how salespeople are enabled. Like sales technology helps sales teams better operate. That said though, that's part of the problem, right? So what's changed is technology and how much is available to us. The problem is, is that we've fooled ourselves into thinking that we should automate a lot of this. And I'm sorry, until the bots truly take over, we are still dealing with humans. Like I just said in the last question, like these are people and people ultimately buy from people. And putting somebody in an 80 point cadence of outreach, do you want that when you make a buying decision in your life? Answer is probably no. Why would we think that anybody else, especially a C-level executive would want that? So I think that's really what's happened. I think that we have over-segmented sales. So there's this big, let's specialize the different sales functions and have an SDR to an AE to a senior AE to an SMB to a mid-market to an enterprise to a this to a that to the other thing. And I clearly have some big opinions on that, but I think the segmentation under the veil of efficiency coupled with the digital piece has been the big change in the last 10 years. And do I think some of it's great? Yep. Do I think some of it's really harmful? Yep. Um, And do I think that you should strike a fine balance? Absolutely. What is it that you hate so much about the SDR to AE? Just curious, because I know a lot of companies are doing that. Yeah. So (laughs) lots of things. First and foremost, it goes back. So like everything that I do, I think about the buyer because the buyer ultimately is the one that I want them to do something with me. And so trying to manufacture a process for the sake of my efficiency, a lot of the time turns off the buyer. And so everyone's thinking about their KPIs and their metrics, but I'm challenging people to think about, well, what are you really measuring? And are we measuring what matters? Because what I don't like about it is I'm a buyer, I'm a seller, I'm a recruiter, I'm a business owner, I'm a lot of different things, but I buy things. And when I am handed off, and as a busy entrepreneur with a lot of things going on at any given time, when I just want to get my questions answered and you're taking up my time and you can't answer them, and then I have to go through another hoop, it's at your pace with your structured process and it doesn't meet me where I am, that's a real big problem for me. And it's a real big problem for a lot of the buyers that I speak to. Nobody likes it. So it's like, well, wait a second. Why are we doing the opposite to make it harder on ourselves than just taking some extra time up front and training people how to have business conversations? So I'm not anti like entry-level salesperson, which is ultimately what an SDR is. But if you don't know how to close a conversation, how in the world do you think you can open one and vice versa? And so chopping this up and over-segmentizing, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to make it one. Doing that, we're hurting ourselves because you know what we're leaving behind? A lot of opportunity. A lot of buyers that don't owe you an explanation and never get back to you. One of the biggest things that happens in the TNS world from the SDR perspective is I've set meetings and people don't show up. Well, you're not giving them a reason why you should because you can't have a real conversation. And so they're going to go somewhere else where they can. 
and nobody's measuring that metric. Boom, Amy, you just brought the fire there. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was really great. And I think there's something similar going on on the marketing side, which is marketing isn't just to like top a funnel, like marketing needs to drive revenue. And so like, how can you do effective marketing without actually tying to revenue? Like some things you can't measure, it's true. But if you are a company that wants to grow and you know that sales and marketing is part of that formula, you can't just leave marketing at the very top of that funnel and expect to grow in the best way possible. So yes. I see some overlap in like what you said about the entry level role and then the handoff. It's not buyer centric and it doesn't impact the business. How are you going to, how can you have that conversation that will smoothly flow into that, the customer? Many marketing functions own the SDR function now. And it's like, to your point, like you guys should be thinking about this as marketers. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Let's talk about your company, who you're for, Avenue Talent Partners. Like, who are you for? What's the specifics? Like, what size startup startups do you work with? What problem do you help them solve? I kind of talked about it, but like, is there anything I missed? Most of our work is done between the A and B round. There's always exceptions to the rule, but that's our bread and butter. We work with startups, those startups, primarily SaaS. We work with them to help them hire heavy-duty enterprise sellers, so like the 150K base plus, and then VP plus for sales and CS. That's who we're for. That's the work that we do. And yeah, that's our concentration. And what would you say are like the biggest problems that you're seeing your customers have on repeat? And what would be your advice? There's two things happening. I mean, so the first has always happened. We help our clients recover after hiring the wrong person or mishiring. That's like a huge driver of demand for us. There are companies that this isn't their first rodeo. They know that they don't have capacity. They know that they don't speak the sales language fluently and they want an expert to help them. So we're certainly a catalyst for that because we do speak the language fluently. We've done the job ourselves. So we know how to search, select, and vet. And so that's one problem is helping them recover because it's super costly when you mishire at that level. Or the other side of the problem is the market has heated. It's more competitive now than what it was before COVID. And it is incredibly competitive searching and hiring for salespeople and sales leaders. And so sadly, what's happening is a lot of companies didn't handle COVID so well when it came to how they treated their employees, how they parted ways with people, et cetera. And so you've got this further divide of us versus them. And so that's a big problem that I'm helping my clients solve. When you say us versus them, what does that mean? So there are lots of things that that uh, means. means, you know, I have to be in this for myself. I don't have loyalty. I have been all founders are bad. The average tenure of somebody is 18 months. I'm going to hop because they weren't loyal to me. So why should I be loyal to them? Like that kind of stuff. Like there is definitely something happening where it's like founders are evil. 
businesses are evil, the man is evil. And it's interesting because Simon Sinek recently had a video that he did talking about how capitalism has changed and really in the 80s, how it accelerated with the change with with CEOs like Jack Welch. And that somehow companies started valuing the value of equity versus the employees that you need to be able to do the business to get that valuation. And we expect people to be loyal to us, but yet the minute something gets difficult or we don't understand something, we point the finger and we get rid of them. And this is for everything. This isn't just sales. And so we have this divide between companies want loyalty, yet they aren't loyal. And I think with a lot of the bad behavior that happened during COVID, some companies handled parting ways incredibly well with grace and ease and dignity and fairness and support through an incredibly difficult time. And some companies handled it horribly in such an egregious way. That spreads like wildfire. Thanks to the digital age, we're all living out loud and you can't hide behind icky walls anymore. And so that contributes to that us versus them. Well, I don't understand why companies would do that because like you said, we're living in the digital age and then that's part of like your culture and sales is is a big connection to like what kind of culture do you want to build at your organization? Like that sales brings a lot of excitement, I personally think, to, to a company uh, and to the company's culture. So why would you want to ruin that relationship and almost like show that sort of face as part of your culture, you wouldn't because then you're going to have a hard time hiring people. It's a very short-sighted, I mean, you have salespeople that are like this, you have marketers that are like this, you have founders that are like this. It's a very short-sighted thing to a much more complex situation, meaning the short-sighted, just what's in it for me and screw everybody else does not resonate with me so much. And yet it happens. And I think part of this is, especially with startups, you have two different mindsets. You have reasonable, sustainable, profitable growth-minded folks. And then you have others that are like growth at any cost. And that growth at any cost is a lot of the time where this icky behavior happens that turn people off. So if I love the thrill of a startup. And I like that build. And I like being where the action is there. And I've gotten into startups that are run in that growth at any cost mindset. You do become jaded because you are treated poorly. And this is why I preach to people, you should be using a scorecard. Don't get seduced by the shiny objects of what somebody tells you. Make sure that you're quantifying and qualifying what the opportunity is and the decisions that you're making. I've said this to marketers. I've said this to CS folks. I've said this to leaders. I've said this to salespeople. I mean, I've said this to everybody where it's like, yet, you know, you're talking about how you don't want to get it wrong. And at the same time, you're taking a backseat approach to something that's so important. That's your career. And that's your business's ability to scale through its people. Why are you not looking at this differently? So those are all welcome to my world behind the scenes. Those are all things that I talk about on the regular. Yeah. I think your, your expertise is really interesting because your, your expertise is number one, sales. Number two, like hiring, right? Recruiting. And you balance across both of those. So you said, you mentioned a big problem is like 
startups hire the wrong person. So you're helping to fix that. What kind of sales leader, what kind of sales team does a series A, right? You said you're between series A, series B, earlier stage versus like a later stage startup. Like what kind of sales leader should they be looking for? It's not a hard and fast thing. And I think that's part of where the mishiring happens is it's not just a stage thing. So I was talking about this with a VC that I know really well last night, and we're going to be doing a clubhouse together to talk about this. A $5 million A round company could look and feel and act and need something very different than a $5 million A round company. It's not just dependent upon the revenue and it's not just dependent upon the stage. It's dependent upon the work that's required. Now, the synonymous thing at the A round, at the earlier stage, is nine times out of 10, it's going to be a build, meaning nothing's really figured out yet. Yes, you have some product market fit. Yes, you validated your product. Yes, you know, you probably gotten some funding. And now you want to grow that to further validate, to, to further bring in revenue and keep it, hopefully. And you've gotten by with sort of like a quasi foundation, but you need a sales leader to come in and build, build the team, build the process, build the structure. Think about forecasting in a different way than probably it ever was thought about, if at all. That's very different than maybe if I'm at a D round company where it's a large sales team. There are leaders upon leaders within the sales org. You've got structure around it and support from a marketing perspective, from a rev ops or sales ops perspective. You've got training in place. You've got onboarding in place. You've got all sorts of processing set up that you can easily say, if this, then that. At the A round, you can't do that. You're defining that and you're building it. And your playbook that you've had may not necessarily translate. So you do have to have that mind like water to be adaptable. That's the biggest difference. So it's it's really being able to adapt because you could be coming from another company where you sold successfully, but then if you aren't able to adapt to this new startup, then you won't succeed. Well, exactly. Adaptability is, I think, everyone uses it. It's like curiosity. Everyone uses it. But what does that look like in real life? And you still have to be adaptable if you're at a big company. It's just the way that you adapt at this stage is so different. I mean, there's a lot of rigor around being able to chuck what has always worked well for you. Look at my story, right? Everything that I did before in my sales career, over 50% of that didn't apply here. And I had to adapt. And if I didn't, you and I probably wouldn't be here right now. That's right. Well, I'm glad you did <laughs> because I've got you here. Yes. So really interesting that you mentioned the type of person can be a different type of person depending on where, like what's this company, but nine times out of 10, you're, you got to build. Then you mentioned forecasting. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I'd love to hear just your, your thoughts on forecasting, because I think for startups that I've had experience with forecasting starts with the CFO and the CEO and sort of like painting that story of the, the fact that we're going to double year over year. And so in order to do that, this is what the sales team needs to bring in 
And this is what the marketing team needs to bring in. Like, how do you approach forecasting? So forecasting is absolutely critical. That is a really broad question that has a big, it depends. It depends on what we need to measure. I'm a big fan of measure what matters. What are the real KPIs that we need to be thinking about? I care about everything around the funnel, right? So, or not just around the funnel, in the funnel, but around the funnel, like what are the behaviors and how are we measuring those and how do we put that in the forecast? And I'm a big fan of early and often expectations being set together. So if I'm working at another company, I want to talk about not just what I think should be measured, but setting that tape appropriately where everyone is thinking about it in the same way that we all have mutual agreement that if we don't, we understand why we're disagreeing and what needs to be included in the forecast. Because I might care about, for example, if I'm in a segmented sales motion, what's happening between the AE, the first time they get the lead, to the conversation, to the meeting booked. People just think about like the the lead to the meeting booked. They're not thinking about that. And remember what I said earlier, there's a lot of opportunity lost. I want to think about that. And then I want to forecast against that because I don't want that to happen, which then would inform the coaching that I need to do at the rep level, the onboarding that I need to do once the hire is made, the continuing education that I need to do when it comes to training. So it's all sort of that ecosystem, but it really depends on on what's going on in the business and the outcomes that we want to see and thinking about the outcome first and then mapping back the strategy to that, which includes the forecast. Okay. Well, clearly you have been successful with selling and you've had a ton of experience and you've personally closed a hundred million dollars in revenue. What would you say are the top three things or top two, top four, whatever it is, that you've done or that you've learned to actually make this happen? Like what matters? Uh, Seeking to understand, not to respond. So assumptions get us in big trouble and discovery isn't just something that you do once and then chuck it. So that's one. Two is to realize that the customer trumps all and everything that I do keeps them in mind. And three, realizing the power of the pipeline. If you don't have a pipeline that's robust with opportunities for the short term, the near term, and the long term, you're in big trouble. So those are the three. And then you just work your magic and make that happen. It just sounds so easy. My formula for that is the right work with the right people plus consistency equals success. So that's that's then, you know, the three plus that every single day. So now with with your business, Avenue Talent Partners, what's working really well for you now in terms of sales strategies, marketing strategies to build this business? Like what what are the channels that are bringing in most of these customers that that you have right now? And yeah, would love to explore that. Yeah, so it's what I described earlier. My content is really is really driving the bus there. So where do you put that content? So what kind of content is it and where do you distribute it? So I get published in different places for long form blog post content. I have uh, my own blog on the Avenue Talent Partners website. I am on LinkedIn every single day. I do things like Thursday night sales. I use my voice on panels. I write things on Medium. That's what I mean by content. And you're on a podcast and you're probably doing others. 
Here I am. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. No, not so crazy. Not, not crazy at all because you've got a lot of knowledge. And so it makes sense to have you <laughs> on here. Okay. So the content and sales on the sales side, like you're doing what you used to do. Like you're, you're basically just using your uh, advice where you just mentioned, like seek to understand customer trumps all and making sure that your pipeline includes the short-term, mid-term, and long-term plays. Yeah. You've encapsulated it. One, I love to do that, you know, because I don't think it needs to be as complicated as we think it is, and it shouldn't be. So thanks for talking through that. Let's talk about LinkedIn for a bit. You've got a lot of followers. You're on LinkedIn every day. How do you do it? Like, how do you stay active on LinkedIn? Like, what's your process? And how are you able to keep up? Because there's so much going on with the business, but yet you want to be active on there. So how do you do it? How do I do LinkedIn? I don't know. Seriously, it's a job in and of itself. And I will say everything I do on LinkedIn is me. I don't have a virtual assistant doing my stuff. I don't have somebody responding as me. I don't have anybody writing as me. It's because LinkedIn has served me so well, it becomes a very big priority. I spend hours there every day. I don't have a family, right? I'm married, but we don't have kids. And this is my company. And I fit LinkedIn in bits and pieces. So if I have a day of back-to-back calls, I might start out on LinkedIn in the morning. And then kind of like how I think about emails in between calls, uh, pop in and respond. I wrap up my day by responding. I'm very responsive to my content And what I learned to sort of do is I really like reciprocating with people that I follow. I really enjoy other people's content, but I know the busier that I've become, I can't always do that. And I've given myself some grace for that. So I have a short list of people that I pay close attention to that I want to learn from them. I want to hear their point of view. I want to weigh in on their content, but I've made a commitment to myself that first and foremost, if I'm putting content out pretty much every day, which is what I do, and I've been doing that for seven plus years, I will respond to every single comment for the most part. And that's a, that's a full-time job. I don't have a, I don't have a good framework to tell somebody. I mean, it, it is, it is work, but I'm a big believer that what you put into something is what you get out of it. And it's a priority for me because the benefits have been amazing. And it's not just about sales. It's about potential candidates. It's about seeing your advice come to fruition and having people's lives changed for the better It's about trying to elevate a community that I care a whole lot about. Like there's a lot of different things that hit me personally and professionally. And that's why I spend so much time there, but not at the expense of my company, not at the expense of my team, not at the expense of my clients, not at the expense of the work that I do in other places. And sometimes it is at the expense of my personal time, but I love what I do. And I feel like I was put on the planet to do this. So I'm probably the worst person to ask that question to, because it's not like I have here's a 10 point checklist to spend a half an hour on LinkedIn and and win the world. Like it's just, that's not realistic. It's not realistic. I've come to terms uh, like over the past year where I've gotten active on LinkedIn because I wasn't active before. So you have been active for a while and it's almost like you, you knew that it was a great way to connect with people, to network with people. Like should sales folks be active on social, whether that's LinkedIn, probably for a lot of the the B2B companies, sales folks there. 
do you think that they should be doing that um, versus not? And in a specific way, right? You're not on there looking for people to connect with, sending them one-to-one messages. Like you are marketing yourself on LinkedIn and networking. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's not systematic for me, right? Like I have relationships on LinkedIn. I've met people that are in my life in a major way because of LinkedIn. I respond to every message, literally. Unless you are a connect and pitch, if you do that to me, I will disconnect with you. I'm at the 30,000 connection limit, so I can't take on any connections unless I remove them. So context for me matters. And in turn, if I'm trying to connect with somebody, I provide context. People use the word personalization, which I think is getting bastardized. And it's not about telling you that we went to the same school. It's about relevance, I think, more than than making it personal. When I reach out, I try to think, make things relevant. I appreciate that in turn. If people are trying to connect with me and I don't know why, or it's like we have 3,000 people in, in common, I don't care. That doesn't mean anything to me. So I've always been a relationship first kind of person in business, in my life and everything. That's not lost on me in LinkedIn. So I don't treat it like a lead gen system. I nurture it like it's a relationship driven system. Mm, I like that. I like that you summed it up nicely there. Very nice and clear. Uh, I think a lot of people are still treating LinkedIn and other social channels like for lead gen. And I think that's the wrong way to think about it. So glad I'm talking to someone that also (laughs) connects to this idea of like relationships first and bringing something relevant. And that's how you make it work successfully for you. Awesome. What would you say, given that we have only a couple minutes, um, what would you say are like a top failure or top mistake? I really like to ask this question because it just shows that like we are constant, we're people, we're human, we're experimenting. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, especially in with startups. What are your top mistakes or top failures and maybe how have you learned from that, become better or how has that, has that impacted you? So I think top mistakes that I've made is when you assume, right? Like when you're good at what you do, or when you think that you've hit your stride, or when you're realizing success, it's really easy to go on autopilot and be like, oh, I know what's going to happen in this conversation because it's this profile of person. And every time I've done that, I'm always reminded to listen to seek to understand because ultimately people want to, when buyers make decisions or people respond in our personal lives, in our professional lives, it's because they feel seen, heard, and understood ultimately. And every time I deviate from that, I end up assuming and I always make the wrong assumptions and it either sets me back, it makes me look foolish, or it removes opportunity. And that's the best lesson that I've ever learned. And I really hold myself accountable to that. I also hold myself accountable to walking what I talk. So what you see is what you get with me, whether it's Thursday night sales, whether it's this, whether it's in my written content, whether it's we're having a business call, I'm very direct and I'm very open. And my genuine desire is to truly help. And if I can't, I have no problem saying no, thank you and being gracious while I'm doing it to leave the door open. But that's the other thing is when I used to just, be excited about any business that came. I was spending time on the wrong business that made it slower to grow, that 
bogged me down, that wasn't great, that ended up costing me more. And so the more that I understood who my ideal customer profile is and where I do my best work and where I want to be doing my best work, the stronger I became, the more my business grew, the more I realized, what do I want to talk about on LinkedIn? Who do I want to connect with on LinkedIn? What are the things that I want to write about? Where is it that I want to do my business? Who is our ideal candidate? And my oh my, did that put the gas on the fire? Sounds like you found your why and then got specific on your who. So (laughs) that's a win. That's a win for sure. Amy, that this has been, I can talk to you all day, but this has been such a great conversation. I'm so happy to have had someone on like you with your particular sales expertise. Plus now you're working with, with startups and you're helping them with on the recruiting side and like your understanding now with building your business on both the sales and marketing front, like, what does it take? What do you need to do? It's been fascinating. So thank you for being here. If anybody wants to find Amy, you know, she's going to be on LinkedIn every day or most days. (laughs) And it's Amy Volus. And to find out more about Avenue Talent Partners, you can go to avenuetalentpartners.com. Amy, thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you so much. I appreciate the conversation. Can't wait to see you back at Thursday Night Sales, Anna. And thanks for the invite. I really appreciate talking about this. for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Furmanov, YouTube, search for Furmanov Marketing Consulting, or go to my website, furmanovmarketing.com. Furmanov